recording yet again from the lovely Tesla Studios here in beautiful, San, sunny San Diego. It's Monday, February 15th, President's Day 2021. Hope everyone enjoyed their Valentine's Day yesterday. I had an awesome Valentine's Day and an even a nice Valentine's Day from our country, a nice Valentine's Day present from our country. We get a nice day off on this lovely Monday morning. So while I would love to be in work doing what I usually normally do during my day job, I'm really happy to be here in my pajamas, posted up, bringing you guys some of the best sports slash whatever talk I could bring you here on a Cali Green Monster show. So with the Cali Green Monster Show, my goal is to be able to come here and come on in this microphone as much as often and be able to just talk about whatever's on my mind. About 85% of the time, that's going to involve sports. But I don't want this podcast to just be considered a sports podcast or a UFC or a football podcast. Because as you, the listeners, know from the last podcast, episode 27, that was a completely non-sports podcast where I reviewed some WandaVision and I told you a, a lovely story from my past that you may or may not have found funny. But as with I mentioned, this show is an 85% sports podcast and today is going to be definitely one of those where it's 100% a sports podcast. So I don't know if you consider that intro non-sports. So, hey, maybe you can tune in every single week just to enjoy my sultry voice and get a nice welcome to the Cali Green Monster Show. And then you could tune off as soon as I start talking about sports and football and stuff that just sounds like probably just noise in and out of your ears. But for those of you who do actually like UFC and football, you are come to the right place, especially for today. So, I mean, I guess if you're here for football or basketball, it's not going to be that much of a show for you. But if you like UFC, this is going to be the show for you. On Saturday night, Kamaru Usman and Gilbert Burns fought at UFC 258. It was the main event. It were that It was the main fight that the card was built around as I when I reviewed this on Friday's show I mentioned that I wasn't the most stoked for the card and when I say that it's not that I wasn't excited for the fight Usman and Burns was a really great matchup it was one of the best matchups you could put together at, at 170 so I'm not trying to dog the fight I think both fighters are great it's just that to pay 60 bucks or whatever the UFC is charging for the pay-per-view for what the rest of the card was built around. I just felt like it wasn't worth it. No, all due respect to Kelvin Gastelum and some of the other fighters, but that's what I'm saying Kelvin Gastelum and then some of the other fighters. That's kind of, that's the name value. And I feel like you can't be charging people pay-per-view for that. So that's why I'm bringing you the UFC show on Monday morning the Monday after the pay-per-view because I finally was able to watch the main event and it was an impressive showing by Usman I felt like on multiple levels he showed that he has a great chin because right off the bat Burns dropped him with a right hand and 
it was the type of shot that I feel like a lot of fighters that could have been the end of the night or it could have just drastically changed the game plan or caused someone to panic. But Usman just right away kept his composure. And for the rest of the fight, you felt like he was just kind of recovering, but like he wasn't really giving up much space or, you know, he was, he was still bringing it. He was bringing, he had a nice jab at one point Burns was down, but he did not want to go engage with Burns, who's a world world champion jiu-jitsu, both gi and non-gi. So he definitely didn't want to go jump into Burns' guard. But, you know, he did great. And for Burns' credit, he had a really great first round as well. He was doing a great job at, I felt like, being aggressive. Like, like right off the bat, he was very aggressive, and that's how he scored that knockdown. And even after that, I felt like in the exchanges, he was hitting... Usman with some stiff punches so it's definitely giving Usman something to think about but with these championship fights and UFC fights one round is still super early there's still so much fighting to go and you could see in the second round that Usman just really the skill level and like basically he showed why he was the champion you know it was like that first round you could kind of see that like they were close that they trained together so it's like they were definitely like knew each other and you know Burns had some confidence but that second round Usman's jab was just just picking apart Burns he even dropped down at one point with the right and Usman did a really really good job of keeping composure and not trying to you know blow his wad trying to finish Burns or putting himself in a dangerous position kept his composure and then third round came and didn't even last a minute into the into the third round. He switched to southpaw, dropped him with a right jab. Incredible! It was it was great. It was slick boxing, especially for a guy that he's kind of known more for his grinding, like clinch, foot stomps, and really great wrestling. It was slick boxing. Dropped him with the with the right jab, came down, finished him with the ground and pound. And it was an impressive title defense from Usman. He broke GSP's welterweight consecutive win record, so he's now got 13 wins in a row. And he's definitely on pace to match Anderson Silva's 16 consecutive UFC wins to start a UFC career. So Usman's definitely on a streak. He's definitely a bad dude. He's one of the best pound-per-pound fighters in the in the UFC and just in the world in general, I think he creates problems for anyone that fights him. He, after the fight, he called out Jorge Masvidal uh, for a rematch. And I'm not, I could see why he did that. I, I don't think that that was the right call out. So I think that he called out Masvidal because, I mean, he's already fought him. They fought back in July. There's like, I guess, perceived beef because, you know, Masvidal, even after the fight, was talking about that, you know, he, he went all five rounds with the champ, and that was only on 10 days' notice, and that if he had a full training camp, he would just, like, completely end Kamara Usman and all this stuff, and he's just talking, talking. But that's what I just think it is. I think it's just talk. With all due respect to Jorge Masvidal, like, I mean, he's a real dude. Like, he, there's nothing fake about him. Even with you know, some of, he could almost be almost a little bit of a caricature of himself right now with his, you know, three-piece in a soda and some of the flamboyant outfits that he's wearing and, you know, his the hair and everything. He's, 
you know, he's a little out there right now. He's really playing up his, you know, like the Cuban, like badass street fighter. But I also don't, from what I saw in that fight, I don't really see Masvidal outside of being able to clip Usman. I don't see him creating much problems for Usman. I feel like that fight goes the same way. I think Usman has the stand-up and the chin to be able to take whatever Masvidal brings on the on the feet. And he also has like the grittiness and the wrestling to be able to just close the distance and make that fight, you know, a boring fight and just make it a grinding fight. Their fight in July, I think, sold like 1.4 million pay-per-views. So that you know, it did great business. So I can see Usman being like, "Hey, let's just let's just run it back. Let's make some more money." But I think one of the reasons why it did so much business because at the time Jorge Masvidal was basically the biggest star in the UFC. He was the biggest star in MMA. He had just come off of you know starching Ben Askren, and you know he was just really. I mean. At that point, he was just like, he's on the cover of the UFC video game, and everyone was just calling for him to have a title shot, and he was just sitting back, you know, so he was just a star, and I think that that's one of the things that, you know, and then at the time, also, in July, there wasn't very much sports going on, because we were still in the middle of COVID, and, and all that stuff, so even, like, every UFC card that kind of came especially like back in July, it seemed like it was something fresh and new. So I think that that's another thing that resulted in a lot of the pay-per-view buys. So I don't think Usman should be completely just going all in on the Masvidal, unless that's what he sees as like another easy title defense. Cause that's what I honestly see with that matchup with Masvidal and Usman. It's not that Masvidal's bad. I just don't see him matching up well with Usman. Personally, I think the fight that we need to see at 170 is him rematching with Colby Covington. Right now, the big word on the street with Colby Covington is that he's going to get matched up with Leon Edwards. Leon Edwards has just not been able to find a fight over these past couple years. He's one of the best guys at 170, and he just hasn't been able to get a fight at all. So lining it up with Colby Covington makes for a good matchup. I think it was rumored for they're trying to set it up for March. However... I feel like Colby Covington has an, a rightful claim for the number one contendership. Dana White all week has been preaching it, and he's not being hyperbolic when he's saying it, that Usman and Covington, their first fight, was one of the best UFC fights you could watch, honestly. Like, if you were trying to show a friend, like, hey, do you want to watch, like, a re- let me, like if they want to know what UFC is about, and especially you want to pull a fight from the past few years, that's definitely one of the best. Like, if you want to watch some of the most skilled, gritty, just badass dudes just going back and forth. Because for all of Colby Covington shit-talking and his his persona that he's playing right now, like the MAGA guy, that dude can fight. I mean, he can wrestle. He's got gas tank for days. And I feel like he has the blueprint to beat Kamar Usman. Because as you can see in the first round with Burns, Burns was doing a great job bringing the pressure you know, he was he was clipping Usman good. But the thing is, Usman's showing, one, that he has a chin. And this guy, and Usman as well, he has cardio for days. His past few fights, he's been training with Trevor Whitman up in Colorado. So, I mean, training up at high altitude, you know, so he's not going to get tired. So, I think he need to find a guy who can be able to match his gas tank 
who can be able to match his wrestling and be able to just kind of just try to drag Kamar Usman into deep waters. You know, even though it was a fifth round TKO, I feel like the way that, you know, Colby Covington, that whole fight brought it, I feel like it could have very well have gone his way, you know, especially if that goes to a decision. You never know what the judges are going to score that. And then just how he's kind of responded after, even though he still calls it out saying that, like, the ref was cheating. I think it was Mark Goddard, and he just, like, is hates Mark Goddard, and he still calls, calls Kamaru Usman, Marty Fake News Usman, and all this stuff, and saying that he would starch him in a rematch. And the thing is, is that some people will talk a lot of shit, and it's just that. It's just talking shit. I feel like Colby, Colby Covington, at least, has responded, and in his last fight, he just completely starched ex-champ Tyron Woodley. That was a grudge match. And if you watch that fight, it was like le- completely different levels. He made Tyron Woodley look like a different class, like, and I'm not in a good way, like a class below. And this is a guy who was a 170 champion who defended his titles multiple times. And Colby Covington just made him look bad. So, and that's one of the other reasons why I think that, you know, Colby Covington has a more rightful. I guess stake at the number one contendership over Jorge Masvidal is Jorge Masvidal hasn't fought since the Usman fight. He's done a lot of talking. He's done a lot of videos. And, you know, at the end of the day, I mean, this is a guy who's been fighting like since the street fighting days back with Kimbo Slice and the Miami street fighting days in the 2000s. He's been all over the world. He's fought for like almost every MMA organization you can think of. So if this guy's made a bunch of money right now and he's his name is you know, still, still got some shine on it. Hey, have at it, dude, like enjoy it, make your money. However, I don't think that if we're trying to, if the UFC is trying to be the, the place where the best fight the best and it's the champ fights the number one contender, I think the true number one contender is Colby Covington. But at the end of the day, the UFC and Dana White recognizes that this is entertainment. It's almost like professional wrestling. That's why, you know, you bring in a James Tony back in the day. That's why Brock Lesnar was such a huge draw. That's why you signed CM Punk. They will do things because of what they think will sell most. I just don't, th- I'm not 100% confident that the Masvidal fight is the big money fight because as a consumer, as someone who likes to follow MMA and now technically kind of covers MMA, the Covington fight is the one that I want to see. And I think that most MMA diehards would agree with me, but you never know. I mean, Covington is controversial. So there's some people that probably don't even want him to have a platform to fight uh, just because of his controversial stances and politics, politics that he has. But the thing is, I still think that Usman and Covington is a big, is the bigger fight than Usman and Masvidal. And then, Masvidal and Edwards, I think, is a bigger fight than Edwards and Covington. Because one of the things about Masvidal, his whole three-piece in a soda persona, that's that all stemmed from in the UK with Edwards talking shit. And Edwards was the one that received the three-piece in a soda. So if anything, I would love to see on the card, you know, Edwards and Masvidal, and then Usman and Covington, and then see the winner of the championship fight, fight Masvidal and Edwards. So... If I was the matchmaker, hey, Dana White, reach out to me, dude. I'm just a dude in his Tesla. 
may might sound like a crazy guy just talking on his microphone, but dude, I fucking know what's going on. I know the pulse of the MMA community. Let it fucking go. Now for you listeners, if you guys want to hear more about UFC 258, some of the other fights, go listen to Ariel Hawani because I'm not going to cover it. Like I said, I wasn't very interested. Maybe the only thing worth a note that I'm going to point out is Gastelum answered back and he he looked impressive in his fight. I watched a little bit of that, just kind of fast forwarding through it. But, you know, Gastelum looks like he's, uh, Gastelum's got some left in the gas tank. Haha, <laughs> bad pun. But moving on to some more MMA news, something that's actually really exciting. I have a little pad of paper right here just to kind of remind me of the few things I did want to talk about today. And it's John Jones going to be able to fight, is going to fight the winner of Stipe Miocic and Francis Ngannou's heavyweight championship fight. Dana White announced this on Friday. And the only note I have on this is just... Yes, in all caps, this is something I think all MMA fans have been just waiting shit forever. You know, John Jones has been dom. I mean, he was he's like the youngest UFC champion, if I remember correctly. And at the time when he came on the scene, it was he was it was unfair. I mean, just his frame, you know, six foot five, had longer limbs than everybody. And he literally was making Hall of Fame legendary fighters just looking like shit. Like Rampage Jackson. He made Machida just fall into a heap. Um, Shogun Hua. Rashad Evans. He was just making it look easy every single time. Like Vitor Belfort basically broke John Jones's arm. And then he. And this was steroid Vitor Belfort. Like Vitor Belfort just on on all the Mexican cocktails, eating that horse meat, juice to the fucking gills with that mohawk, and he was scary as fuck. Basically, Bisbing's eye doesn't even work because of the steroid dude. He freaking hyperextended and broke John Jones' arm, and Bron- John Jones, just like a tough motherfucker, just like beat him with one arm for the rest of the fight. This is a guy that, I mean, through the golden age of UFC, I feel like. And to me, it's like the golden age of UFC is through college. So that's when John Jones was making his name and all of his big fights. So I'm a huge John Jones fan. I can separate the fighter from the guy, you know, because at the end of the day, these are cage fighters, man. These are guys that literally just get in their underwear, they get into a cage, and they are trained to literally hurt people. And they're gonna fight another dude that's trained to hurt people in his underwear and they're just in a cage and millions of people are fighting him and it takes a crazy motherfucker to be able to do something like that you know UFC and cage fighting is a definitely what you would call a spectator sport I love watching it I love covering it I love being able to analyze it do I want to go in there and fight fuck no dude so that's why it's like with John Jones where some of his crazy shit I mean his cocaine use, some of, you know, the hit and run with a pregnant lady, all sorts of shit that he just keeps getting hit for. It's like, well, this guy, I mean, to be able to go and do MMA fighting and cage fighting, it's like there is almost kind of like a recklessness, I think, that you have to have in your personality. Just the same as someone who jumps motorcycles over hundreds of feet and they break their bones and then they, once they get better, they do it again. You know, so it's like I can separate John Jones's kind of craziness and respect that 
this dude is the greatest MMA fighter ever. Like with all, I love GSP. All due respect to GSP. Um, you know, Habib Nurmagomedov is really impressive. I have my opinions on him, but I'll save that for a different show. You know, I think John Jones is so impressive, and it's just it is kind of a shame to think of what his resume and maybe what his career would look like if he didn't have all the suspensions for drug usage and. I would have to look more on the PED one because I feel like whenever someone gets caught for PEDs, there's always stories about tainted supplements and, or if it was just, it was so minuscule and even help. And so I don't know when I look at John Jones and his fights, he didn't, he wasn't like a guy like, like Brock Lesnar, for example, where his sheer size and, and weight is what would win him his fights. John Jones is kind of a lanky dude. He was very dynamic. All of his fights were he was crazy spinning elbows. A lot of times he would start the fights, he'd be completely crouched on his like crouched to start and they'd just come out and do something crazy. You know, so John Jones I didn't feel like he was a product of steroids or performance enhancing drugs. However, I could just be naive in saying that, but you know, I think that some people are naive sometimes with some of their favorite fighters. But in the end, I think John Jones is one of the greatest fighters of all time. I mean, he was no one was able to beat him at 205. He's had some tough fights, but at the end of the day, it's like, you know, with the Reyes fight and back with the first Gustafson fight, you know, and in you know, in his arm when his arm was broke with Vitor, like I mentioned, John Jones is a champion and he knows how to get through those rough waters and he every time he's either it's John Jones still I mean he was so bored with the 205 pound division that he just gave up he willingly gave up his belt and now it's just we've been sitting back with bated breath watching the videos of him doing powerlifting just waiting for this announcement that he'd be going to heavyweight and not just heavyweight we want to see him fight for the title and it sounds like it's going to be happening soon, or at least that's what Dana White said. Dana White has said a lot of stuff. We've heard a lot of announcements in UFC, and honestly, until it's fight night and the guys are walking down to the octagon, I won't 100% believe that it's going to happen. But I feel like we're definitely on the right road on ESPN First Take on Friday morning. See, it's like now looking back, it's almost wondering if this was set up or maybe if... Maybe we can have we could thank Max Kellerman because Dana White was on and and Dana White I think that the the host of the show had set up Dana White as hey we need to have Max Kellerman who's the face of boxing who covers boxing and has his own boxing show on ESPN that he needs to be ringside and to cover a UFC and Dana White is like I've been trying to do this for years I've been trying to get Max in there for years and Max just is like. Oh well, if you can get John Jones for that heavyweight title, maybe I'll talk. Maybe maybe we'll talk. And then, sure as shit, later that day he announces, "Yeah, John Jones is gonna be fighting the winner of Stipe and Francis Ngannou." So maybe, thank you, Max Kellerman. I really appreciate it. That's the fight that we all want. And now you may, even though you're a boxing guy, you might have brought it to us. So maybe Max Kellerman is the 
the next Don King in waiting. I don't know, but that's something I'm really excited for. I really hope it doesn't fall through. John Jones, I know you're a crazy motherfucker, but please let someone else drive for you. Lay off that cocaine like Johnny Cash sang about that one time. And let's just please set up something that would just really cement your legacy as really just the greatest MMA fighter of all time. Another UFC slash MMA fighter that's been in the news recently, someone else that's been in the trouble in the past for a failed drug test, TJ Dillashaw, the former 135 Bantamweight champion, two-time champion, he was suspended two years because he got popped for steroids for his fight with Henry Cejudo. For those of you that don't remember, at the time, TJ Dillashaw was the 135 champ. Henry Cejudo was the 125-pound champ. And Dillashaw was attempting to do be a double champ and move down weight classes. But, I mean, trying to get down to 125 pounds. I mean, I haven't been 125 pounds since middle school. I mean, I am kind of a chubby motherfucker, but at the end of the day, I mean, T.J. Dillashaw, he's a, he's, I was about to say a grown man. I mean, he is a grown man. He might be not the biggest man ever, but 125 pounds proved to be too hard for him to cut, and I think he got popped for EPO, which is to really help, I think, like, either just improve the oxygen or just supposed to help with the weight cut, because I guess, and he even admitted after he tested positive in interviews after that that the weight cut was just becoming too much for him, that the, his body was shutting down. And rather than just try to cancel the fight, he he turned to performance-enhancing drugs. Because, I mean, what he had tested positive for, there was no, there's no tainted supplements. Like, it's something that if you get caught for it, it's because you did it. So he hasn't denied it. And so, you know, at least he's kind of taken his L from being suspended on the chin however now that his suspension's coming up he's come out in an interview and said that he wants to fight for the title he's pointing out that you know because henry cejudo came up from 125 you know during dillashaw suspension and then he ended up taking the 135 belt and retiring as champ champ so 135's just been kind of like a hot potato of people you know, winning the title, no one's really defended it. So Dillashaw is almost making the claim that this is his belt and that he deserves to be able to fight for it. However, let's be real, no matter how, you know, that he's, even though he was able to own up to using the performance-enhancing drugs and he didn't really make excuses except for, yeah, I mean, he, he said that he used, he needed to use, and I guess that's the excuse, but, I mean, he never denied it. But the thing is, is that I don't think you should be. You can reward any fighter or anyone with that's coming off a drug suspension with immediately a title fight. You know, I know that no matter how good you are, you might be the number one guy or you might be the best fighter at the division. But I feel like coming off of a drug suspension, you that can't be rewarded immediately with a title fight. I think T.J. Dillashaw should have to fight again. I mean, the one thirty-five pound title is already wrapped up with the title fight you know you got peter yan and Algernon sterling they're going to be fighting in march and then you got uh the Corey sanhagen who had that impressive knockout of frankie edgar just a few weeks back 
So he's set up as the number one contender. So, you know, 135 has a lot of people that can vie for that belt. And I'm not sure a guy who admittedly taking serious performing enhancing drugs and be suspended for two years should be able to leapfrog any of those guys. So I don't really see that happening. I think if TJ Dillashaw wants to, when he comes back, he's definitely going to have to fight again. It's like, could he fight Corey Sanhagen? You know, Sanhagen, even though he did knock out Frankie Edgar, who's a Hall of Fame fighter, Frankie Edgar is 39 years old. He's definitely on the downside of his career. He's eaten a few key KOs and TKOs in recent years. So if Sanhagen wants to get another notable win over someone who's more in their prime, I think being able to get a win over TJ Dillashaw would be a definite exclamation mark on his resume and something to really bolster his claims for fighting for the 135-pound title. I think two options that would be kind of fun to see as someone who's followed TJ Dillashaw and been a fan of MMA for over these past 10 years, some names from the past, maybe TJ Dillashaw and Uriah Faber. I know Uriah Faber, he's come back out of retirement. I don't think he's retired again fully, but I think that that bad blood of Uriah Faber and TJ Dillashaw, I don't know if the bad blood is still there. However, you know, some, I don't, forget all the big alpha male fallout when did when tj dillashaw followed Dwayne ludwig to colorado so there was big beef and those guys never fought uri faber was always in the corner for cody garbrandt so that's the closest that tj dillashaw and uri faber were ever opposite octagon so the fact that they're both in the same division and if uri faber is not retired I think that would be a fun one to see. And then the other one to see would be Cody Garbrandt. Now, I know that TJ Dillashaw has beat Cody Garbrandt twice. He's beaten him by knockout both times. But both times, I think Cody Garbrandt can at least... I think he can at least point out that TJ Dillashaw... I mean, because Cody Garbrandt was someone that was also part of teen alpha male and he was also buddies with tj and he would make claims that tj dillashaw was on performance enhancing drugs and that he didn't test positive during any of his previous fights before the zahuda one and that's including both of his garbrandt fights the fact that the dillashaw's last fight was one that he got popped for performance enhancing drugs if anything that gives some credibility to garbrandt's claims and I think if he wants to say that, hey, I want a third crack where I know that you're not on performance-enhancing drugs, I think it'd be something I'm willing to watch. You know, Garbrandt, you could tell in those two fights with Dillashaw and then his fight after that, that he wasn't being the same fighter that we saw kind of go up through the ranks and smoothly outbox Dominic Cruz. You know, he was just, especially in the Dillashaw fights, he was super aggressive. And in the first fight, if anything, it looked kind of good. He looked like he was that that fighter that has the more pump, the the more pop in his punches and being more aggressive. So I remember early in that fight, I thought that Garbrandt had Dillashaw in trouble. But you know, next thing you know, Dillashaw finished that fight in the second round, and then 
you know, kind of went similar in the second fight. But, you know, long story short, I think it, it would be interesting to see Garbrandt, who's someone kind of on the comeback train and seems to have a better head on his shoulders. I would like to see that fight again. And, you know, I think Tuji Dillashaw, if he can come back and get a win over, you know, one of these three dudes, then, you know, then he has a legit, you know, claim to try to get his belt back for a third time. And, yeah. So before I end this podcast, I know it was a very UFC-heavy show. I'm just going to end it up with highlighting a little basketball news. Anytime I do cover basketball, I feel like the Lakers is something I bring up. You know, I record this. It's out of California. I'm a California kid. Grew up in a Laker neighborhood, so I have tons of Laker friends and Laker friend family and all that. So... One of the concerns I've had for the Lakers is even though LeBron's been playing MVP level, I feel like he's had to play MVP level because Anthony Davis hasn't been playing up to his Anthony Davis, you know, five-star rating player level. And it's potentially because of his tendonitis and his Achilles. Last night he was playing and had to leave his game, grabbing his Achilles. I guess team doctors are positive on it. They think it's just a strain. You know, he has to get an MRI today to get it checked out. So, but I think that that's definitely something to worry about. I don't think that Davis should play for the majority of the rest of the regular season. I think that they should just rest him. He should just try to stay in shape while also resting the Achilles. And once that thing is completely fine, then bring him back. They're going to need him for the playoff run. And I don't think trying to bring this guy back while the Achilles is just even like, mild strained or not he not fully recovered because once the playoff starts and everyone's going 100 percent, there's no breaks on any possession that's something that could prove to be a problem I mean Kobe Bryant's Achilles popped when he was just going 120 percent trying to get the Lakers trying to will that team into the playoffs Kevin Durant you know playing on that Achilles when he probably shouldn't have and this was now in the NBA finals so that wear and tear, I think, just proved to be too much. So I just worry that, you know, these kind of injuries, I think it's just eventually the wear and tear eventually causes these tendons to snap. And I just really hope that Anthony Davis and can, can, can recover and the Lakers can just kind of kind of just keep pace, just keep the keep their chemistry going, just, you know, while also not burning out LeBron. I think that's a big thing, too. I appreciate all the work that LeBron's doing, but I just, you know, he is an older gentleman at this point. No matter how superhuman he seems, I hopefully he can kind of be able to take it, his, his foot off the gas a little bit and the Lakers can still keep collecting dubs and keep keeping good pace in the West, stay in the top half, and look strong going into the playoffs. But anyways, with that, I'm always impressed how long I end up talking. I always come in here thinking like, all right, dude, let's try to keep it to another 20 minutes. And then I just start talking, 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 talking. And next thing you know, uh, yeah, I think we're over a half hour now. Anyways, I appreciate everyone that takes a listen. There's no show without people that listen. Because if if no one was listening, I'm just a crazy dude talking into a microphone. So I appreciate my surprisingly large fan base at this point. So thank you guys. If you're enjoying it and you have any friends that you think that would enjoy something that I bring on this podcast, share with a friend. Leave a rating on Apple Podcasts. And 
yeah, until next time, it's been a Cali Green Monster Show. I'm your host, Dean Ryan, signing out from the Tesla Studios. Peace. <laughs>